Our scripture reading today is found in Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 21. And our message today is entitled, Paul at the Areopagus, or at Mars Hill, a Christian presence. This is the Lord's word. <coughs> now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and, with, and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what did this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, maybe know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Good morning, everyone. Oh, it's good to be back. Uh, it's good to be here um, preaching God's word. Um, just thank you for allowing myself and a team of people to go to the CCF National Conference last week. And after service today, a few of us, if not maybe all of us who are present, will sort of give you our reflection of what God has taught us and our reflection of what God wants us as a church um, to do. So please do stay and hear and listen to how God has blessed us and hopefully through that to bless our church together. Uh, thank you to also my good friend Wei, who was able to bring God's work yes, last week. Hope you all enjoyed his unique style of preaching. Um, good friend of mine. Anyway, uh, we continue our series today, and we look at an example of how it is that we're supposed to live as salt and light in this world, and how it is we are to engage this culture and to proclaim the good news of the gospel. I think all of us here can agree that if we do believe in Christ Jesus, if we do believe that not, he's not simply our savior, but that he's come to save those who will believe in him, if we believe that the means by which people are drawn to him is by the sharing of God's word in our lives, embedded in the lives of others, there's incumbent upon us to understand how should we then live? How should we then live in such a way, in such a manner, that people can see Christ in us? For many of us, evangelism is something that is uncomfortable. And Becky Pippard, in her, in her book, Out of the Salt Shaker, said it this way. She said, the unbeliever and the believer have one thing in common. They're both uneasy about evangelism, and that's true. For many of us, just simply sharing about our faith with someone is it's like pulling teeth. And we feel as if when we're sharing that good news that we're encroaching upon someone's space. And so we sort of back off. But we remember 
that if the Lord in heaven thought that he was encroaching upon our space, Christ would never have come. But Christ came seeing that the space that we're living in led simply to death, suffering. And so he came. We as believers who have Christ in us must live like Christ. You know, in our Christianity today, there's this false gospel going around. It's called, once again, the therapeutic gospel. The therapeutic gospel says, basically, I want to hear Jesus to make me feel good. I want to hear Jesus so that my mental state will be at peace. I need Jesus to be my therapist to help me. And we have no problem receiving grace and enjoying his grace. But that's not the gospel. When the gospel comes to you, your duty and your joy is to share that same gospel with others. For that grace that you receive is that same grace you want to share. Because when Jesus came to save you, he didn't, try to, he didn't come to save you from the difficulties in everyday life. He came to save you that you may go out and share the good news with others. There's joy in the Christian life when we hear the name of Jesus being espoused. There's joy in the Christian life that when we share that word vocally, we share that word in our lives, that we actually see Jesus incarnate before us. And our love for him grows immensely. Another sign of the therapeutic gospel that, that's part of our day is, is you know, a, lot, a lot of people are, are waiting for heaven to come. And they're waiting for the perfection of heaven to come. Where there'll be no more tears, no more sorrows. And, 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 and I remember I had lunch with this one Emory student. He was a philosophy major. And, and we were having lunch, and he asked me this question. He said, you know, if, if you as a Christian know that you have heaven, and that's going to be your goal, then what's your motivation to live for this world? What's your motivation to love this world? And he said to me this way, he said, listen, I believe that there is no God. I believe in the end that it's just, that's it. We, we just die and we're just in the ground. Therefore, I as a non-believer have more reason to live. For if this life is all that we have, we've got to, Grab life and enjoy. Carpe diem. And we as Christians, we have to have a response to that, do we not? Why is Paul going around from city to city sharing the gospel? Why are Christians going around sharing the gospel? 
if we know that this world is sort of always going to be broken, and we know that what we're waiting for is the future kingdom and the perfection of that kingdom. Herein lies what I believe is the response. The goal of the Christian life is not necessarily eternal life. The goal of our religion, of our faith, is to know Jesus Christ. And the beauty of heaven, or when the Lord comes back, new heavens and new earth, it's not the perfection of life, it's the perfection of seeing Jesus as as who he really is and being loved by him and loving him. Now, if that's our goal, and if Christ has come in us, and our goal is to see the completion of Jesus in the future, what does that mean for us today? It means that our goal, until the consummation of that day, is to see more of Jesus. Because our joy is Jesus. Our joy is not perfection of life. Our joy is not an easier life. Our joy isn't about no suffering. Our joy isn't about, um, you know, being able to do what I want in the future. My joy is knowing Jesus. And so our goal in this life is not to run away from sorrow, not to run from pain, but to see Jesus in all things. Imagine, if you will, if you were in prison for whatever reason, and you are incarcerated for, let's just say, two years, short time. But let's say before you were put in prison, you were engaged. And your loved one said, listen, I'll, I'll wait for you for two years. And when you get out, we'll get married. And we'll live the life that, that was intended for us. When you're incarcerated for that two years, what do you do? You write letters to the one you love. You you have pictures of the one you love. You use your free phone calls to talk to the one you love. When you talk to your fellow inmates, you talk about the one you love. And you wait for the day when you're released to have the fullness of that joy of being married. We, in this life, are waiting for that day. We are not striving to run away from the the failings of this world. We are striving to see Christ in all things. And as we do, we have a reason to share Jesus with everyone and anyone. And that's what Paul does here in this passage. Paul is a missionary going around from city to city when he comes to Athens. And as you know, in the ancient world, Athens was sort of what's the center of all learning, right? We have the great philosophers of of ancient history, right? We have Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, the Sophists, and and all those people. And this is, of course, later on in history. But the Romans knew of of the Greek philosophers, and and they they elevated 
Greek, um, Greek culture. Now, Athens was you know, a, a pale version of those glory days of philosophers coming to really engage in deep philosophical thought. But it was still a city where people were wondering, what am I here for? Why should I live? What's the purpose of life? And we have sort of two different philosophies here that, that the, um, the writer of Acts, Luke, Luke, brings up. The Stoic philosophers and the Epicureans. And, and basically Epicureans say, you know, life is short, just live it up, enjoy life. And the Stoics said, no, 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 we have to refuse bodily pleasures in order to, to live a, a pure life and to live a happy life. But either way, all over Athens, people were erecting statues and erecting things to, to, uh, to worship. And, and back then, it was okay for people to worship one, two, three, four, five, as many gods as you wanted. And this is what's interesting about Paul. And this is something that we, you and I, have to, have to really learn about what it means to uh, really want to see Jesus in all things. It says in verse 14, Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, the spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. This is amazing. This, this one verse is amazing. We know that, that Jesus has sort of summarized the Ten Commandments as simply, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And for many of us, the, the motivation to share Jesus with other people is, is the second of those, to love people. That's a good motivation, and it's a scriptural motivation. You see someone that you've, you've, you've known for a long time who, who doesn't know God, and you want them to know God desperately, and you share with them the gospel. That's, that's a great motivation. But this is a little bit of the other side. And this is something that we really need to dig deep down and understand about Paul and dig deep down to understand about ourselves. Whether we have this motivation, the love of God, that compels us to share the good news of Christ. He says, Paul says he saw a city was full of idols. He saw it was full of idols. And what was his reaction? Was his reaction simply, I guess they're all going to be judged by the Lord. <laughs> Let them go where they go. When he saw that, that, that these idols were gaining the worship of people, when these people were worshiping created things rather than the creator himself, was Paul's reaction, well, just, let's just walk through okay, the world is the way the world is. My university is the way the university is. My family is the way the family is. It's just, it's just what life is. But Paul says this. He says, my spirit was provoked when I saw the idols. That word provoked 
means exactly what you think it means. In Acts 15, it, 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 um, the, the writer Luke uses that same word when Mark and Barnabas were fighting over whether or not they should um, take John Mark. I mean, Mark and, sorry, Paul and Barnabas were fighting about whether they should take John Mark or not. And they wound up splitting in ways. So there's an altercation, a fight. They, they had this, this deep um, discomfort in their hearts. They were bothered. And they couldn't let it go. Their hearts were provoked. Many of you understand what that means. Because I've seen your hearts provoked. I've seen your hearts provoked when we talk about minority issues. I've seen your hearts provoked when we talk about gender issues. I've seen your hearts provoked when you talk politics. I've seen your hearts provoked. You can't let it go. You have to talk about it. You have to make wrong things right. And for Paul, his motivation was not here the love of people. His motivation was the honor of God. He saw a city full of idols taking the glory that belongs to the Lord, robbing him of worship. And his only thought was, this belongs to my God. This world belongs to my God. These people belong to my God. My God deserves all glory. My God deserves to be worshipped. My God must be worshipped. His heart was provoked. Love the Lord your God with all your holes, with your, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's where his motivation is to share the good news of Christ. I want to stop here and ask you that question. When's the last time as you entered into your place of work, as you walked across campus, to walk through the city, that your heart was provoked for God's name was not written here. When was the last time your heart ached saying, God needs to be worshipped. God's name must be magnified. It is out of this jealousy for God's name that gives us desire to share his word. I pray for you. I pray for myself. That just like when we are provoked, when we talk about sports, when we talk about politics, when we talk about racial, gender issues, 
the honor and the name of Christ. Would elicit the same response to our hearts. That's what Paul is doing here. He was simply waiting in Athens, waiting for his disciples, waiting for some of his people. Couldn't help it. God's name must be magnified. And so what did he do? He engaged the people. It says in verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. He engaged the people. He didn't throw a tantrum. But he didn't throw a tantrum. He didn't go, man, these, what's wrong with these people? When he was provoked. He didn't run the other way. You know, we have the story of Jonah when God says to Jonah, listen, these people, uh, uh, these, these Assyrians, you must, uh, these people in Nineveh, you must go and share with him the good news. And he said, no, I'm not doing this. He didn't run away. He didn't curse them. But he engaged them. And he engaged them in two fronts. He, he first went to the places of worship, the, the synagogues, to talk with the Jews and the devout people. The devout people were, were probably people who worshipped God of the Bible but weren't Jews yet. Didn't sort of convert into Judaism. And he reasoned with them. He talked with them and said, listen, the God that you're looking for is, is, is the creator God that is written in your scriptures. And, and the person that we're waiting to save us is Christ himself. He went into the marketplaces. He went to where the people gathered together. And, and you know, in, in those times, people would be standing on their uh, soapboxes just preaching or teaching whatever doctrine they had, whatever philosophy they had. And so he was one of many people, but he was there sharing and trying to persuade people that the God that they need to worship has shown himself in Christ Jesus. I think for us there's a lesson there. I think for most of us, when we're provoked, we, we just sort of internalize it, hope it goes away, and eventually we suppress it, and it does go away. We don't have these hard conversations with our friends, do we? We don't have these hard conversations with people around us, do we? And listen, what is Paul doing? He's reasoning with them. And we'll get to that part about reasoning next week. But he's engaging them. He's not condescending. But he's talking with them and engaging them on their terms. Brothers and sisters, our duty before the Lord when the, when the Lord stirs our hearts like this, is to be creative, engage the culture, share the good news of Christ with people, 
Hear their arguments. Be prepared to, to answer them with reasonableness. And have in your hearts and your minds just love for the Lord and love for the people around you. My prayer for all of you, for our church, is that we will never back off of who we are. That the glory of God would so consume us that our joy our sort of desire that we are compelled to share Jesus with others. And look what happens afterwards. In verse 19, he says, And they took him and brought him to Areopagus, or to Mars Hill, saying, May we know that this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So, so what happens? You know, the, the amazing thing about the gospel is when you, when you share the gospel with others, it's, it's what we call in, in theology the general call. The general call goes to all peoples. Our duty is to be God's voice to share the good news with all people. Everyone should have the right to hear the gospel. And we are that conduit to share that with the people around us. But there's no expectation upon us. There's hope and prayer that everyone who hears the word of God will actually come to know the Lord. That's our hope. That's our prayer. But that's not our goal. Our goal is what? According to this passage, it's the glory of God. We're provoked because God's glory is being stolen. And we stand up and we broadcast the good news of Christ. And what do we wait for? I like to use the word here, invitation. Invitation. Paul was finally invited, as he's just sharing, to come to Mars Hill, where the elders and some of the leaders of, of Athens of that day would go and, and talk. Now, Mars Hill, back in the ancient day, was where everything was adjudicated. But nowadays, it was probably just a place where older people, people with some power, but they didn't really have a lot of power then because the Romans had come through. But it was still a place where they understood that people of learning would come. Paul was invited. And as Paul was invited, he was able to share deeper about Christ and the resurrection. Isn't this how evangelism, evangelism works? Isn't this how people sort of are drawn in to God? They can't be drawn in until you broadcast. But after you broadcast, you ever had that person come to you and say, can we have lunch? Can we talk? 
And you sit down, you talk. And they say, listen, I've, I've gone to church all my life, but your relationship with Jesus is kind of, it's kind of weird, but it's kind of, I'm interested. Why do you follow Jesus this way? I was never taught that growing up. And you engage in a deeper level, deeper conversation of the Christ that you love. And in all those conversations that you have, you rejoice even more when a number of them come to know him. But let me tell you, people can't, know, can't come to know Christ unless they've invited you because they've heard you. They can't invite you and hear you until you broadcast and tell people about the God you worship. You can't broadcast and tell about the God you worship unless your spirit within is provoked by the glory of God. And this is one of those beautiful chains that we see of how evangelism and, and sharing the gospel works. Our hearts need to stop living in this world of therapy. We need to stop wanting God to just simply heal our hearts. We're not looking for a heaven because our hearts will be healed we are looking to live in this world because we want to see Jesus in this world. We want to go to heaven because we want to see Jesus clearly and fully in that world to come. And so today, what do we do? We share the gospel with all because we know that every time we share the gospel, every time someone invites us, and every time someone comes to faith through that, we see more of the one who loves us. And our hearts are full. Brothers and sisters, is this not what Jesus did for you? Think about this. Jesus looked upon you. He saw sinners giving glory to created things. Money, wealth, money, health, other people, jobs, whatever you, whatever you want to call these, these idols. God was provoked in his God self, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he said, what can I do to save these people? To save you. He could have just sat in his God self throne and said, hold on, I guess we'll just judge them and let them go. He could have done that. He could have sat there in his God self and said, you know what, we're, we're happy the way we are. We're perfect the way we are. We don't need these people. Why should we save them? They've, they've done nothing but make our lives difficult. Let's just let them be. Say that. 
God incarnated himself in the shape of Christ, incarnating himself, engaging you, and loving you, and engaging you in such a way that he didn't wait for you to change, right? He loved you with all of your sins, all of your enmity against him. And he saved you. And as he gave you that gift of faith, and you realize that I have no one but Jesus, you invited him into your life. He was already there. But in your mind, in your heart, you actually saw him there. And you said to Jesus, change me. Help me. In the book of Acts, the reason why Christ went back up to heaven in the ascension and now sits at the right hand of God, and the reason why he said, you know, I have to go so that I can send my spirit to you is because now he wants you to be his messenger. So go, be saddened by this world and provoked in heart. Go and share the goodness of Christ and what he's done for you and who he is. And pray to be invited into people's lives with deeper conversations about the God that you serve. And they pray even more that perhaps out of these conversations, you'll be so pleased, God, to use me, to use us, to bring people to you. And that, that these people will complete the circle and worship you as they ought. Brothers and sisters, we've been blessed with much. We've been blessed with Jesus. May, he, may his presence in your life grow more and more. That we may be seen by this world as lovers of the living God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. There's no one like you. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for the example of Paul, one of your apostles, one of your servants. And we thank you, Lord, for his example of how to live in the midst of a world that does not know you. And Lord, we confess, Lord, that when we see the idols around you too often, we're too quick to join in the, in the idolatry. And we get the same satisfaction as the world does. Father, we confess our sins to you in that. And we ask you, Lord, that you would give us the grace to be provoked. Provoke our spirit. Provoke our hearts, Lord God. Father, help us not to be at ease with this world. 
May your glory and your name be that which we yearn for and strive for. And so, Lord, for all of us, Lord, when we go back into this world, whether it's at work, family, or school, open our eyes to see what you see and give us winsomeness and creativity to share the good news of Jesus with all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.